Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to No Reservation. In my own words, I am Jennifer Menard Shand. I'm first a wife, mother, entrepreneur, speaker, and the founder and CEO of Staff Shop Inc. Um, Staff Shop's a full-service staffing and consulting firm, and we recruit and deploy thousands of people across Canada with a couple of clients uh, in the U.S. and the Caribbean, but mainly in Canada. Amazing. Great introduction. You are already a lot of things, aren't you? <laughs> it seems that way, yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for uh, that intro and thank you for hosting this podcast. We're in a beautiful little boardroom uh, in a condo building in Toronto and it's really great to have an opportunity to get to know you a little bit and thank you for stepping up to share your story. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Joel. So tell me about your early years. Where does the Jennifer story begin and how on earth did you uh, navigate your way to the place that you're in today? Well, my early beginnings um, began in the nickel capital of the world, Sudbury, and, and the small surrounding areas. Uh, that's where I grew up, in a little town called Chelmsford at first, and uh, moved around in some of the other towns. But um, yeah, I mean, childhood was great uh, up until about age seven. That's when my parents got divorced. Uh, my mom was a nurse, and my dad was a, uh, a diamond driller. Uh, in the mines, and uh, he's retired now. And I say it was great until they got divorced because um, I only have happy memories uh, oh. for, from from that time. And then, unfortunately, I ended up with uh, living with my mother, who got full custody of me, and I only saw my dad every second weekend. So uh, I had to, you know, follow my mother's path for yeah. for quite a long time. Um, not what I would have chosen, but, uh, Hey, uh, those humble beginnings are a big part of the reason as to why I'm here today. So I'm still grateful, but, um, yeah, to tell you more about the story is just, uh, she ended up with a, a string of men that abused her physically, verbally. Um, one of those men was my stepfather and he was bipolar. He was also an alcoholic. And so, so was she, I mean, uh, at that time, um, uh, there was a lot of domestic violence in the household because of that. So I like to say, I don't like to say, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's a common saying for me. I spent my teens, especially, or my childhood trying to save my mother mm. from this man. And I wasn't successful um, because things had escalated to the point where uh, I was, you know, going to the neighbor's house at 2 a.m. and asking them to use their their telephone to call the police every time he would beat her up. Um, and I would, uh, end up having to lie in court eventually because she would constantly take him back. And so, um, that created some issues between her and I, to say the least, I I became very angry, very rebellious, um, gave her an ultimatum at one point and said, you know, it's either him or me. And unfortunately she chose him. Um, and it even got to the point where, you know, and I had mentioned this in another podcast, um, got to the point where one of my lowest moments was uh, I was 13 years old and I had to run downstairs and grab a kitchen knife and point it at him to get him off of her 
uh, because I knew he was afraid of knives. And so here I was 13 years old in the middle of the night, like pointing a knife now. And it got to that level and and that scared me. Um, Thankfully, I didn't have to do anything. Um, But for me, you know, that's where that ultimatum came from. And and when she chose him after that, uh, my heart kind of turned black and, and just was very hard towards her. Uh, a lot of the love and respect kind of just disappeared. I thought to myself, you know, if I can't trust my mother or if my own mother's not going to be there for me, like who is? And, and that, that spiraled me down paths where now I had my own issues in, in terms of dealing with these demons that, you know, were in our household. And so I started drinking, I started doing drugs. I started, you know, doing like just, petty things, you know, a little bit of petty crime, like sneaking out, um, just not doing, rebelling, essentially. Um, even practice witchcraft at some point, uh, thinking that it was cool or a way to regain some sort of control, I guess, and looking back. Thankfully, I've been cleansed of that because um, that's not something to play with. And um, I ended up really not trusting anyone. And that, that was a problem for a while in my career, in my relationships. Uh, one thing I was certain of is, you know, if I work really hard and I do well in school, that's some sort of ticket to freedom. Yeah. And so I did that. Um, but propelling myself into being a workaholic creates other issues as well. And, and this idea of not trusting anyone um, puts a lot of pressure on everyone around you and yourself. Um, and then, and then the, uh, imposter syndrome kind of reared its ugly head throughout my life as well. And that I think started at a younger age, I think around the age of 11 or so I was constantly from the age of 11 until about, you know, 17 or so I was constantly pretending like everything was okay to my friends at school and anyone else around me. And really it was chaos happening, um, at home. So I think I, felt like an imposter from an early age. Um, but it manifested into being the perfectionist kind. Apparently there's five different kinds of imposter syndrome. Um, for me, it became the perfectionist kind. The failure is not an option. Interesting. And, and failure kind of wasn't an option for me because I ran away from home at 18 years old to Toronto, um, shortly after. And at that point, I mean, it was all about surviving. And so, I came to this city with a lot of baggage, with, with fear. I was first motivated by fear. Um, uh, I, I was suffering from imposter syndrome, and then I, I had some serious trust issues. And I had all kinds of trauma and, and, and hurt that I hadn't dealt with. Because at that point, um, I, I hadn't really... I guess my healing journey began then, but I hadn't received the, the help I needed to kind of get rid of all of that. So yeah. that's how it started. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's quite, yeah. those are impactful early years. And uh, it's amazing to obviously see that you're thriving now. So, you know, where did you go from there? How, how do you begin your career with that, you know, motivation to work really hard, whether that motivation came from, positive circumstances or not and that kind of perfection kind of you know mindset how did you start working and how did that manifest in the workplace and in your early years of your career yeah it's a great question I when I look back now and I think it was my mentor that told me this he's like you know fear can be a a very powerful motivator Uh, but what I learned is 
long term, it's it's not it's not the best motivator oh. by far. Um, and so that that fear, that need to survive, it, it certainly motivated me. I put in the hours. I did whatever it took to do well. I studied. I anything I put my mind to, I, I wanted to be the best at. Um, but it wasn't because, you know, that was my purpose or calling. It was because I, I needed to pay bills and I, I knew that going back home was not an option. So, um, that's how it all started. And, uh, but it's funny how, how the world works because along the way, even though that was the motivator, I, I met amazing people huh. and I met people that actually cared about me and that actually cared about moving my career forward or my life forward. And, Although it may have been different, uh, difficult to trust them, and I, I had that kind of you know issue of always waiting for the shoe to drop, um, they proved themselves to me over time, and, and and it's that village, like they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It's that village that started to help me heal, and slowly but surely, I started to see like, oh, there are good people out there that actually care, that aren't going to like pull the rug out from underneath me, <laughs> and so. Um, I think, you know, when those people come along the way or along your path, it's very important to, um, uh, to appreciate them and, and, and to, to do your best to build a relationship with them because, uh, not, not everyone in the world is going to hurt you. So, yeah. um, so that was a big lesson. Uh, and then on the, the workaholic side of things, I mean, <clears throat> once you reach a certain level, Um, because usually when you're a workaholic, it's like some sort of addiction. It's also a distraction from dealing with your issues. Uh, because if you're not busy, then you're busy thinking about things that you don't want to think about. And, um, and so that's how it kind of starts. But I think it's important to also remember that it's, um, a materialistic, uh, kind of viewer approach as well, because when you're working that hard, uh, for me anyway, it was usually for things that don't really matter. Huh. Like my first vision board had a lot of materialistic things on it. It had like, it had like a yacht, um, you know, the convertible BMW that I wanted to drive, uh, the six figure salary, the wardrobe, the trips around the world, etc. And then when I ended up achieving all of those things, it actually scared me because I checked them all off. Well, except for the yacht. <laughs> I might, that, that one's still there, but it, it, it means something different now. It yeah. means more like freedom and yeah. like, you know, everything I've accomplished in yeah. my entire life. But yeah. I will be sailing off into the sunset at some point yeah. for sure. But um, when I achieved all of these things, I couldn't believe how empty I, I still felt. Yeah. And then I was scared because I looked at my vision board and that's all that was there. Yeah. And so I quickly had to hurry up and get my life together in my, I would say, early 30s. I realized this. I was like, man, what, what else am I going to put on here that makes sense? And that's when I really started um, journeying and in, into areas that uh, were all about kind of self-development. Like, who am I? What is my purpose? What are my core values? What am I really here for? Again, a lot of mentors and coaches helped me with this. There's no way I would have been able to do it on my own. Um, and then there's a, I did all kinds of therapy, of course, in my life, but the, the therapy that helped the most was called um, EMDR. And uh, it's a great therapy for post-traumatic stress syndrome, great therapy for phobias and, and, and things that um, you kind of need your brain to be reset for. Yeah. And, and that's what it does as opposed to talking therapy. Yeah. So just an FYI for people. Good. Um, 
And so that therapy, you know, surrounding myself with people. And then for me personally, it was also reconnecting with my Christian faith. Um, I come from a, a French Catholic background. And so I had walked away from my faith a long time ago. And I had those friends that kept, you know, inviting me to church and along the way. And of course, I would say no half the time. And then I finally decided, you know what, I, there's something there. Like I need to go. I was in, was in another dark place, of course, at that time. And, and so I went back to church. And for some reason, um, my church is called C3 Toronto. Uh, and it's a Christian church. And I, this church for me just unthawed me in a sense. I went there and I just started bawling my eyes out every Sunday for some reason. Uh, the atmosphere, the the timing of my life, the message, the the reconnection for me, it was like my my come back to Jesus moment. Oh. And he, it's almost like he just grabbed the hold of me and just like never let go since then. And so yeah, I want to mention that because uh, that that was I like to say God has uh, the power to heal faster than decades of therapy. Oh. Um, because the therapy and the coaches, I mean, those are still there. They were always there, but the faith is like the deepest, the deepest, most healing, um, therapy I could have ever kind of gone through. And, um, and so I would say those are kind of the three things that helped me heal. And once, once I, I was healed enough, I don't think we're ever fully healed, (laughs) but once I was healed enough, that's when everything just fell into place. Like I met my husband, my business partner in the same, in the same month in in 2017. Um, I I got the opportunity, uh, after working for, uh, the bag group, um, the staffing firm that I worked for, for, from 2008 to 2018, I got the opportunity to, um, to purchase the division that I had created. And, And so that's how staff shop was born. Um, I still do some work for MLSC, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I always have since 2006 because I love hospitality. Hospitality is my heart. It's, yeah. it's what got me through school. It's what still the, the, the core of my business is about as, as staffing flagship events. Um, and, and then, you know, got married from there and had some kids and, and I'm a new mom now. And so I, I, I don't think that, you know, without, but, but I think we were talking earlier about how, you know, sometimes you look at your timeline and it's, it's certainly not linear. Um, uh-huh. I, I actually drew out my timeline for fun to see like, okay, 1984, yeah. that's when I was born until today. And it's, it's all, it's up <laughs> and down and winding all over the place. And here I am. And the yeah. story continues to unfold. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you for sharing all that. I'm really glad that you found things that were meaningful for you that helped you move forward from those challenging early years and to be able to manifest and experience, you know, those certain elements of success in your life and your career now, that's really powerful. So let's talk a little bit about staff shop. Tell me more about what it is that you do. And it, you know, you sort of talked about the flagship events. I know that staff shop has a bit has a broader mandate than just the hospitality and tourism industry, but I'm curious mm-hmm. based on your, working background with MLSE and other places and kind of, you know, focusing on some of those events. Tell me about Staff Shop. How does it work? And what is its ultimate, you know, relationship with the hospitality and tourism industry? Yeah. So uh, Staff Shop is a, it's a full service staffing and consulting firm. And what that means is, um, well, we've got about eight service lines, but the majority of what we do is uh, deploy temporary assignment employees 
um, for clients across Canada mainly. And they can work in any kind of department of an organization that you can think of. So in any organization, there's usually kind of administrative staff, finance, IT, you know, maybe like industrial, uh, warehouse, etc. Um, and or uh, there could be a venue that has uh, that has a requirement for staff or flagship events, as I had mentioned, which is kind of special in the hospitality space. Uh, we really do it all. There's not an area that we can't staff, hmm. but the heart of it, of course, is hospitality because of my background in, in that industry and because of MLSE. So when I worked for um, the last uh, staffing firm that had been around called the Bag Group since 1971, they, they were also a full-service staffing firm, but they didn't have a hospitality division. So while I was there, I created that division, and then that's the division that I bought from my mentor before he sold his entire company at the end of 2018, and then I renamed it Staff Shop. Right. So um, that's why that's it, it, it's the core. It, I, I love staffing flagship events. It's super yeah. fun. I mean, yeah. we's, we do a lot of uh, work for all of the, the national sports teams and um, people love working these events, right? It's, it's an experience. Yeah. Um, and so temporary staffing is the majority of what we do where we're the employer of record. We are um, responsible for everything in terms of payroll burdens, insurance, liability, et cetera. Um, people get paid per hour and we invoice our clients. Huh. And our clients could hire our temps if they want or they just remain to be our temps on our payroll um, indefinitely. Yeah. And then there's other uh, options as well. You could always hire a person from us full-time right out of the gate, and that's what we would call direct hire staffing or perm staffing. Uh, payrolling services is another one as well, where sometimes clients um, from the U.S. will come to Canada, and they're not set up to payroll here, yeah. and so they'll use us as a payrolling service. Um, and then, of course, we do some HR consulting with a special core value assessment that we have to place people in the right roles and to deal with conflict resolution and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, sharing business with people is also really important for me. I mean, I, I've, I'm always a big fan of, you know, giving back now these days. Like I, I, it's no longer about me being the star of the show or the star sales rep. It's about how can I use this platform to help other people uh, move forward and, um, helping other businesses as well as our employees is, is something that we do. So uh, there's a lot of opportunities for us to co-bid on things and share profit um, if anybody brings business to Staff Shop. And then I spend the majority of my time these days not only on growing the business in the direction and the strategy, but um, speaking huh. uh, about topics that are near and dear to my heart. Um, indigenous truth and reconciliation, especially in the workplace, is one of them because I'm First Nations Ojibwe and French-Canadian. And, um, you know, the power of Indigenous women-led businesses, um, the Canadian labor market. Uh, there's obviously some conversations about EDI, although EDI is going in certain directions these days that I don't necessarily agree with. So I, I'm trying to change that conversation a little bit. Um, and so I, I'm really passionate about the speaking because it's, it's an opportunity to storytell kind yeah. of like what I'm doing today. And, and, and I hope to inspire people to, to do the same for themselves. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. So let, let's talk about sort of present day staff shop, because certainly I think here we are in, you know, halfway through 2023, uh, at least from a Canadian tourism industry perspective, you know, talent is still a challenge, remains to be a challenge. Uh, there are many reasons, drivers behind that. But, you know, first and foremost question for you, where do you find the people? And you don't have to share any of your like secret sauce, but where do you find 
people to staff all those all those events and everything that you do? Where, you, where how are you attracting people? Yeah, it's a great question, and um, it's actually not that complicated. It's just a lot of work. Huh. That's why we've made a business out of it, and so. Anyone can find their own people, but if you talk to any HR team, I'm sure they'll tell you like, I mean, sifting through hundreds of resumes and then, and, you know, and interviewing people, it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of work and that's why organizations come to us. Um, of course, we've built a database from day one yeah. that we're very fortunate to have um, and it continues to grow and grow and grow and it's a large database across North America, so that's kind of our secret sauce. Um, but otherwise, I mean, w- there's, a, there's many, many approaches to finding people um, and you have to follow the trends. Like when I started back in the business, Workopolis, as an example, was popular, and now it's Indeed. And so you'll notice a lot of people post on Indeed or ZipRecruiter or all the big kind of popular job boards. Of course, we'll use those. Um, why not? Yeah. Um, our website, um, referrals, candidate referrals are huge, client referrals even. People that have worked for us and have done a good job, we always ask, you know, where can we find 20 more people like you? Yeah. And so really encouraging people to work with their friends and, and so on and so forth. Um, Social media is huge these huh. days. That, that is one area that um, I know my teams are, are definitely uh, utilizing. Uh, there's all kinds of even, you know, Facebook groups or, you know, we've got Instagram and the way that you use that tool. TikTok is big now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you really have to, there's, there's also other platforms. Yeah. There's a lot of other platforms that are, you know, probably worth mentioning, but they're kind of, there's so many. Um, you really have to understand the client. You've got to understand the market that you're recruiting in and, um, and, and where people are going to find the jobs because it's different in every single province It's different in every city. Um, sometimes you'll find people on social media in one, one area and in another area, that's not where they are at all. They're on some like government portal or website. Um, so that that's my team's job is to const all they do all day in that one area uh, of recruitment is 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 recruit and and look at strategies and where are the people and they're talking to people constantly and it's it's ever changing. Well, how many people do you have on your team? Internally, we're about I would say like we average twenty to thirty people internally with um, uh, full time, uh, part time freelancers. And then externally, I mean, we're deploying thousands across the country. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And so in all of that, you know, comings and goings into and around the hospitality, tourism events industry, even if it's a temporary capacity, what is it that you think attracts people to this industry? Why are people even interested in responding to your social media posts or your at job ads or the, like what, what's drawing people in? That's a great question as well, because um, that's how you've got to differentiate yourself. Right. When, I, when I first, when staffing was first uh, presented to me by my mentor back in the day, I didn't even know what a staffing firm was sure. because coming from Northern Ontario, I mean, there's not many staffing firms up yeah. there and we just find our own jobs. Yeah. We never needed a staffing firm. So it, at the beginning, back in 2008, I, I was like, what the heck is this? I had to Google what a staffing firm was. I still didn't understand what it was. I met with my old boss. He tried to explain it to me and I still didn't really get it. Like, why would people come here? Why would clients need this? I think it's pretty obvious why clients need this, but why would job seekers um, be attracted to us? I mean, first, um, I think we've defined ourselves well as an organization and in the marketplace and in terms of who we are, what we value, what our mission is, our vision is, our value proposition. I think people are attracted to 
from what I can see in the surveys and things like that, I think people are attracted to who we are and the fact that we do things right. We have a lot of integrity. We're never cutting corners. Um, and so, uh, they get treated well around here. You know, they get paid every week via direct deposit. Um, they're actually employees on our payroll. There's a lot of benefits that come with employee being an employee. And when you kind of register with staff shop and there's no fee to register, um, you get access to a bunch of jobs that you can accept or decline whenever you want. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If you want to pick up some shifts now and not later or vice versa or disappear for a bit and come back, as long as when you do pick up a shift, you take it seriously and you follow the instructions and show up and do a good job. And, you know, you've got a staff shop way of doing things, of course. Um, that's okay with us. And, and so it provides a lot of flexibility. It provides opportunities um, for people to, to network and work for various different companies across the country. Some of them get hired full-time because of that. And, and so I, I, I believe that that's, you know, why people are attracted to us and, and yeah. why it's a good thing to register w- with an agency. Yeah. It's like you've built your own village. It's like you've built yes. that community that you're sort of talking about. Yes, exactly. Very interesting. Uh, from your observation, obviously you are bringing in people to staff shop to go out and work for other clients. There must be a certain proportion of those people that you're bringing in that are pretty well experienced in the hospitality and tourism industry. So just out of curiosity, asking you the other side of that same question, are there anything, is there anything that's happening in the industry that people are not happy about? And when I say people are not happy about, I mean the, the, the staff who ultimately come to you and look for opportunities, there must be some kind of feedback mechanism where they say, this was my experience over there, mm-hmm. you know, and this doesn't have to necessarily to do with your clients, but I'm just, I, I'm so curious as to what is happening in, what is the lived experience of people working in the hospitality and tourism industry? And is that contributing to a happy, engaged long-term sustainable workforce or is it contributing to you know low retention rates you know transient nature of the industry so what's happening in industry and and love to hear sort of your perspective from from what you've heard or seen or experienced from the people that you work with yeah there's so many things there when you're when you're talking i mean i'm thinking of like five or ten different things to mention but first i mean i will say that um the pandemic definitely had a, a huge effect on, I think, every industry, but uh, so some industries did very well. But the hospitality industry, I mean, we were literally shut down overnight. Um, and I remember specifically talking to my business coaches about picking a niche and sticking with it. <laughs> and here we go. I did that. Um, and then this niche is closed down overnight yeah. in, in 2020. We went down to zero dollars in revenue and thank God we didn't stay there. Um, that's, that's the gift actually for me of the pandemic uh-huh. is diversifying and finding other ways to solve problems for clients and finding other jobs for our people. Uh-huh. That was the biggest thing is like, where do we redeploy our people? Uh-huh. And so we started redeploying them in healthcare and essential services and all kinds of other areas. But long story short, I mean, about 50% of our hospitality staff just like disappeared. I don't right. know. I still don't know where some of them are. It's mm. like, Hey guys, where are you? Like, yeah. come back. <laughs> where, where, where did you go? Did yeah. you change industries? Did you, um, like wh- where are some of these people? And 
and there's all kinds of, I mean, reasons and places and, and things that must have happened, but um, that's one thing we noticed for sure. So we spent a lot of time retraining and, and, and attracting new talent. Of course, there's the vet, veterans that are still with us from day one, but a lot of them either changed industry or there was some other reason that they've yeah. just, um, they haven't come back. Uh, so hospitality is the hardest hit area and tourism is, is what I would say. Um, and then I saw kind of like, I guess I would call it, um, I feel like people were just deflated. Huh. People were just different coming back, deflated, unsure, afraid, afraid of things like, you know, COVID depending on, you know, what your beliefs are. And, uh, there was a lot of like fighting about the vaccines in the beginning, like it, and so as an employer, we had to really be careful and stay neutral. Yeah. Um, our job is, is really to, to find the right talent. We're, we're matchmakers yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like it, we have to match make and everyone's different. Um, so we really have to stay neutral and be very careful not to trailblaze into areas where you then have to go back and change your policies because things change so quickly. Um, and nothing really lasts forever as we know. Uh, so some, something might look a certain way and then a few, few months or so later, you, you've got to change it again. So we were careful and still, and just paying attention to what was going on with people and just talking to our people, asking them what is going on with you, what is happening. And, um, I think it certainly affected the work ethic a little bit. Um, that's where I kind of saw the, uh, I guess I, even myself, I mean, I picked up some weird habits over yeah. the pandemic where it's like things slowed down quite a bit. Yeah. And so when you slow down sometimes too much or for too long, it's, it's hard to pick things up yeah. again. And so we, we've seen that, um, that lack of motivation. And then other people have had epiphanies, I oh. think, um, like, wow, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. And uh, now I, I just think that even more so than ever, this was always the case, but even more so than ever, job seekers, the, the top things on their list are like, they want to get behind a meaningful mission. What am I doing this for? Who are you? Why are you in business? Um, the core value alignment is critical. People's values versus what you value and believe in. Um, can we align and can we do some great things together? I think also we have to gone are the days where people just want to stay with organizations for 10, 20, 30 years. That's not really a thing and that's okay, yeah. but it's about being transparent and it's about talking to them about, okay, how many years do you want to work here and what do you want to accomplish while you're here? Yeah. And sometimes we make plans with people to just work with us for a couple of years. And sometimes people do want to stay with us forever. Um, but I don't hire people anymore just thinking that they're going to be with me forever. It's just, um, it's just different that way. I come from um, an era that, you know, you were like, first of all, go get a job at 15 years old, yeah. please. Secondly, like you're lucky you have a job, just work and don't say anything <laughs> yeah. and just keep working and put in more, more hours and never complain. Yeah. Do not speak up. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, doesn't matter if you're stressed out or burnt out, like sacrifice everything, sacrifice everything. Yeah. Right. So yeah. <laughs> I find like that is not, yeah. not the case anymore, unless somebody really connects with their, their purpose in life, then yeah. maybe they'll put in that kind of time. But yeah. our job is to help them along in life. Like staff shops kind of a stepping stone for a lot of people. It's mm. a, it's like you said, a community and we're doing our best to 
figure people out and see what they need and see if we could just make a positive difference in their lives. Oh, that's really amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. So uh, I have a, a few last questions. I, I try to end each interview with the same three questions um, so that all of the guests, you know, have the opportunity to, to reflect on, on some of the challenges and how they overcame those challenges in their careers. But also then, as you've already mentioned in this interview, you know, if there's anybody who's listening who may be able to relate to something that you're going through and can also then relate to how you got through it and what you've learned from it, then that I also believe that that becomes a really empowering message too. So, so let's uh, hit you with the three closing questions of this interview. You've already shared a lot, but if you had to focus on the single most significant adversity you faced in your career, what would it be? What was the most significant adversity you have ever faced in your career? There's, oh man, so hard because like, I think, okay, at first it was about politics and navigating that in organizations, which I think people still struggle with because the job itself is so difficult that like the last thing you need is need to play like a political game. Mm. Um, the staff shop deal was pretty tough. I had to make the deal happen within 30 days. I didn't have much information. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Got the financing at the 11th hour. Um, the, 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 I would say probably the no one makes it alone shift that I had to make personally, I think was the hardest because remember my background, right? It's like, trust no one. If I want this done right, I'm going to do it myself. I know I can count on myself. I'm not sure if I can count on other people. And so what happened was I became everything. Um, of course, at first I was the sales, the operations, the, um, uh, the, the administrator, uh, I was everything. And of course I had a team, but, um, I had a hard time letting things go hmm. and you just get to a certain level, a certain point where like, you can't do it all and you'll either burn out or you just won't get very far. Um, and so that was a lesson. It was, uh, you know, Jeff Bag had said to me, my old mentor had said, uh, you know, Jen, you're like the Walt Disney of this operation and you need to find your Roy. Hmm. And I always under, I always understood that, but finding Roy is not an easy thing to do. (laughs) I almost want to, you know, start a, like find your Roy and, uh, find your Yoda Inc. uh, businesses great consulting ideas, uh, there, but, um, anyway, finding Roy was step number one to building a team that, um, is now growing and and it's not all about, uh, needing me at the, at the forefront. And that, that's critical because the dangerous part is that I I became the brand, I became everything. And, um, you can only do so much as, as only so many hours in one day. And so when you think about, a brand, you want people to be in love with staff shop, not, not the CEO, because right. like, what, what if something happens, God forbid to the CEO, like the, the organization is bigger than me and bigger than all of us. And yeah. so I had to really make that shift and let everything go and find a different way to manage people, um, trust people, have faith in them. Um, and, uh, and since I did that, hiring the right players is obviously part of that process, but, um, as a leader, um, your leadership abilities and I guess making that shift from being more of a servant leader, I guess, 
uh, was, was what did it for me. And, and mm. to this day, I'm, I'm very blessed to have this village that allows me to be able to have children as an example. I mean, having kids was kind of not on my radar for a long time because I just couldn't see how it would be possible. But when you've got a solid team that can kind of hold down the fort while you're busy, um, doing these important things in life, it's, it's very, very helpful. And because of them, I can speak, I can, you know, do what we're doing today. And yeah. I could actually keep my eye on the business at the highest level. Um, because again, going back to my Yoda, Jeff Bag used to say, Jen, you need to learn how to work on the business, not in the business. Mm, interesting. And I'm, I finally, I think, succeeded in doing that, but it took years. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And so the, the second question ultimately then is how you overcame that adversity and it sounds to me like you overcame it by finding your Roy. Absolutely. Uh, finding my Roy, uh, finding my husband, uh, mm. having these healthier relationships in my life where I could actually collaborate and work with these people um, instead of always feeling like I was alone. It, it, it feel, that's why the, that saying is, is, is true. It's lonely at the top or it feels lonely at the top, especially if you haven't figured this out yet. Yeah. And, um, it's not a good place to be if you feel alone. So you got to make a shift there, but I have to like, just go back and thank my humble beginnings because I mean, when people ask me like, how do you, how do you do all of this? Or do you get stressed out or worried? Like, eh, sometimes, but not very often. Like that's one thing that I, uh, I guess I, I've, that was the gift, the silver lining and all the craziness that happened as a child is that I was used to surviving. Like I almost felt like, uh, uh um, I was used to, uh, almost like running for my life or like really surviving. Right. Like, and so, um, it was almost like a life or death situation. And so these, these little business problems that I have today, like that's, that's nothing compared to having to, you know, try to save my mother from potentially being killed or, yeah, um, really. you know, having to deal with like so much trauma and pain and hurt and anger and stuff like that's like, that stuff is hard. Yeah. Uh, th this stuff today, like a pandemic or like, you know, the, the, the numbers dropping for a bit and me having to like figure out a creative way to just go fix this problem. Like, nah, it's yeah. not that big of a deal. And I like to share that because I think a lot of people have been through a lot of things in life and you know, that resilience, it, it helps give you perspective. It helps, um, remind you that this too shall pass. Yeah, totally. And, and so like tap into that, like tap into all the, 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 maybe the bad things that have happened to you and go get the strength that was the gift in that. Yeah. And to find the perspective and to focus on the perspective. It's hard to do that in the moment when something's happening because you're in a pure reaction. Ah, something just happened in front of me and I'm totally reacting to it. Mm -hmm. Can you right now find the perspective on this? Are you alive? Are you breathing? You have, you have a roof over your head. Do you have family? Do you have a community? So it, it's bad what's happening, but there's a lot of good still there for you to, you know, find that perspective on. Absolutely. Yeah. Final question then. Life lesson, lessons that you've learned from both facing and overcoming the adversity that has been some of the things you experienced in your life and your career life lessons that you're applying to moving forward? Oh yeah. This is one of my favorite questions. Cause 
I almost have like a top 10. Um, <laughs> and they're actually turned into business tips that you can, I think my marketer has like a business tip Tuesday with the CEO and nice, COO. So nice. anyways, we, we try to put these in writing because I try to, I want to help people fast track, right? Like you don't have to go through all these years to like learn all these things. People have failed for you. Yeah. Um, you know, just be authentic is number one because the imposter syndrome and the uh, fear sometimes, and, and even today, like people still ask me like, oh, Jen, you know, you, you sure you want to say this? Or are you sure you want to mention your Christian faith? Like, what if you get canceled? Oh. And like, you know, it's, it's interesting. People are so afraid. And I'm like, yeah. well, guys, like, if I don't tell the real story, like the true story, yeah. I mean, I can make up a story if you want, but like, that's not... I think people are really looking for authenticity these Absolutely. days. Like no one wants anything fake. And so be who you are and don't be afraid of uh, wh what people are going to think. Yeah. Um, because when you're telling the truth, that's what's going to kind of squash any kind of fear yeah. or any kind of imposter syndrome that you might be dealing with. Yeah. It's when you're trying to embellish or not tell the truth or hide th th that darkness is what starts giving you that anxiety and starts making you, you know, screw up in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, never wasting a good crisis mm -hmm. is, is something that, uh, that quote from, I think Winston Churchill was just plastered on my wall during the pandemic. And, uh, yeah, we certainly didn't waste a good crisis. So I, I get what he was saying. Um, also just like never, ever giving up. My mentor used to say this to me, Jen, never, ever give up. And there's a lot of times that, you know, people and even myself have felt like, you know what, I don't know if this is for me, or you start doubting yourself and you, you want to give up, but every, just, just hang on for a sec in those moments, because I, I would say almost like 10 times out of 10, if you just hang on, there's always going to be another day, another week, another month. And when I look back now in those moments that I wanted to give up, I've even like broke down crying sometimes saying like, thank God I did not give up. Yeah. I would not have my marriage. I would not have my business. I would not have a lot of things if I'd have just been like, meh, this is too hard. I don't feel good today. Yeah. Let me just give up. Do not give up. Like unless like the only giving up is if I'm dead. Like yeah. there's no, there's always something. There's someone who can help you. There's a solution to the problem somewhere. You might not see it right away. Yes, it might suck and it might hurt for right now, but just keep on going. It gets better. Trust me. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then, you know, there's like, um, I would say, uh, be, being opti optimistic and grateful is, is definitely key, especially if you're in a leadership position, so much negativity and divide going on in the world right now. No good's going to come of buying into that just be optimistic be grateful anytime you're kind of in a bad mood I, I would say I do this is what am I grateful for today um yeah. like you just mentioned earlier it's like do you have a roof over your head like there, there's for sure something that you can just say thank you yeah. and if you just say thank you out loud it just totally shifts your your mentality in that moment kind of breaks that negative energy in that space um as a uh, as an organization, I would say you know define if you're in a leadership position, an entrepreneur, uh, you've got everything on the line. I would say define your your organization's kind of top five KPIs. Oh. Um, one thing I will say about seeing a lot of growth is is that you could also still get into trouble even though you you've seen a lot of growth. So example, we've been doubling in size since inception, top and bottom line, and I like recently almost ran out of money 
um, just based on poor cash flow management, which sure. is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But I, I just, I had kept my eye off that ball for a second cause I'm not a finance person. And, um, it got to the point where things got big enough that I couldn't really see far enough. Mm. And so I started making the wrong decisions at the wrong time and like literally almost ran out of money. And so, um, one of my coaches just reminded me, he's like, you know, just go back for a second and think about like, what are the five most important KPIs that you always need to keep your eye on? And that then becomes almost like the job description to whoever supports you and flows like a pyramid it's it's like then my coo and my directors will end up having you know their own kpis based on those um but it's actually a difficult exercise to really think about what are the highest highest level most important because when you think about kpis i mean you can rhyme off dozens what are the most important that if anything goes wrong in this area you need X amount of time to turn it around or else your business is in trouble. So that was a really cool exercise. Um, and, um, I would recommend it. And then, and then last but not least is just give back, like give back, even if you haven't made it quote unquote yet, or, um, you feel like you don't have a lot to give. There's something about giving back that is just necessary. And it's just part of who we are and what we should be. Um, even when I didn't have much money, I, I was like, I would still give because you give and you get back tenfold. And it's not really about getting things back. It's just, it's the right thing to do. That was another shift for me is, you know, learning how to serve upward and outward instead of myself. When you're serving yourself all the time, it, it just, you're not, you're going to end up hitting a wall. And, um, at some point, someday, you'll probably end up on your knees having to change that. So yeah. if you can just do it sooner versus later, I mean, give back, try to help other people. Um, you've, we've all been given gifts and talents and our job on earth, I think, is to use those gifts and talents to contribute and to make a difference in people's lives. Wow. Well, you said it. And so I'm going to say it out loud. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for sharing your journey uh, thank you for, you know, for sharing things that were really difficult in the dark moments and how you navigated through them to, to create your own uh, really bright moments. Uh, and so thank you for sharing that for anybody who's listening. You know, we always end the podcast by really saying like, you know, we wish you luck on whatever your journey is and wherever your road takes you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good in this world. There's a lot of good in this industry and there's a lot of great models, role models such as yourself uh, to look up to uh, for a path forward. So thank you for your time and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Joe. It was fun. No Reservation has been produced by Amanda Christine and is a Joe Baker & Co. production. Check us out at www.thejoebaker.com.